Well, I don't know about you, but I am so glad the elections are over. Anybody with me on that? Yes? We can be excited about that. Uh, don't be, get me wrong, I am very grateful to live in a democratic society. Uh, that is a wonderful privilege, and uh, it is a privilege to be able to, to vote um, and to go through the process that we've been through. And speaking of that, um, so grateful for those that serve our country to allow us to do that. Of course, Friday being Veterans Day, and had the, hope you had an opportunity to thank some veterans, or uh, if you are one, to, to uh, be thanked for your service there. Uh, but you know, it, it is an incredible privilege to be able to have the, the freedoms that we have, but whether you were pleased with Tuesday's outcomes or not, it is an honor to be able to let your voice be heard. And so I'm grateful for that side of it. And uh, yet there is something that really bothers me about this whole process. What I despise is the way both political parties treat the opposition. You know, we have developed over the last several years this kind of a, just a, an attack mentality, whereas it used to be that the attacks were limited more to political ideology. Now they're personal. Now let's come after the individual with as much aggression, as much vitriol as we possibly can. And one of the things that really bothers me in watching this happen uh, there are a few things that bother me, but one is sometimes this happens between fellow believers that have different political ideologies, and yet they're just attacking one another. And we seem to have forgotten that our core identity is in who we are as followers of Jesus, not in a political party or, you know, I stand over here or over there, but our identity is we're followers of Christ. And that should bring us together more than anything else. And so it, it, it seems that this, this mindset of us against them is very dangerous. In fact, I would even say there is a mindset of if you're not on our side, then you can just go to you know where. And if you're with me, I'll love you and I'll support you, but you oppose me and I'll slit your throat. You know, that, that's a little harsh, but that's kind of the mindset, isn't it? It's like we're, we're, we're just on one side or the other. Now, you may ask the question, how does that apply to what we're talking about? Because we are starting a new emphasis today called Who's Your One? And we're going to talk about the importance of us sharing our faith with one person who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. Here's how that applies. That mindset of either you're on our side and I'm all for you or you're against us and I'll come after you with everything I've got. Think about the implications for the church if we adopt that mindset. Think about the implications for the gospel message. If God's people had that mindset of, oh, if you're for me, we're all together, but against me and I'm going to oppose you. And what we see in scripture is that God is completely opposite of that. That God's heart is to bring people in to his family. And our desire as followers of Christ should be to have God's heart, right? Whatever's important to God should be important to us. And so today we're going to start by looking at God's heart for the one, and then the hope is that when we see God's heart for the one, either for those that don't have a relationship with him yet, you'll be drawn into that, you'll see how much God loves you and desires a relationship with you, or for those who do have that relationship already, we'll say, man, I, I need to have that same heart for those uh, that don't know him that God does. So I want you to open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 15 today. 
And we're going to read just this first little parable. Luke 15 is three parables that all basically make the same point. And that is that God cares about the lost, he goes after the lost, and then he celebrates when the lost are found. That's really the point of all three of these parables. But we're going to spend most of our time on the first one. And then I'll read a little bit from the last one before we close. Luke 15, starting in verse 1, says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Very interesting way that this little section gets started. It says the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. Tax collectors, of course, were those who had sold out. These were the traitors. These were the, the Jewish people who sided with the Romans, and they collected all these taxes that had to be paid to Caesar and anything extra that they could collect from the people they got to keep themselves. And so it was a very corrupt type of a business, and everybody hated the tax collectors. And then the second group is the group he calls sinners, which would really, basically, that's just a broad term to say anybody who's not living in a way that, that is in alignment with God's design, right? So these, this is a rougher crowd. These are the people that are in open rebellion toward God, and they probably know it. And the interesting thing is, these two groups of people, the tax collectors that everybody hated, and the, the sinners that were in open rebellion toward God, were gathering around Jesus to hear him speak. Isn't that interesting? Not only are they not repelled by Jesus, not only are they not running the other direction, they're actually running toward Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. That says something to us about the kind of person Jesus was and about his concern for those who were far from God. And so the religious people had a different assumption. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Their assumption is that if Jesus knew who these people really were, then surely he would separate himself from them, right? That, that's just what they assumed. And Jesus tells three parables to set the record straight. He tells a parable of a lost sheep, a parable of a lost coin, and a parable of a lost son. And like I said, the, the point of all of them is the same. God goes after the lost. He brings the lost back and uh, celebrates when the, when the lost return. And so uh, the first thing that I want us to see from this passion, because we're talking today about... We want God's desires to be our desires and God's passions to be our passions. First thing I want us to see is that God cares deeply about the lost. Very clear from this parable that Jesus told where he talks about a shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep. Throughout scripture, we see this terminology of God being described as shepherd and us being described as sheep. One of probably your favorite psalms, most people's favorite psalms, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The other places in Scripture, Ezekiel 34, verse 1, for example, it says, You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. 
Jesus himself described himself in John 10, verse 11, as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And so throughout the Bible, there's this imagery of God is the shepherd, we are the sheep uh, who are likely to go astray. And yet God, as that good shepherd, goes after the lost sheep. And, and it's interesting here that, that he says 99 would be left behind in order to go after the one. Do you know why? Because every sheep matters. That's why. Every sheep matters. And every shepherd would have known this. You, you couldn't have the mindset of, hey, I still got 99. What's the loss of one? No shepherd would do that. The shepherd was responsible for taking care of all of the sheep. And so it was just kind of in a day's work for a shepherd to risk his life going after that lost sheep. That's just what they did. Because sheep were valuable. Uh, sheep were, were an indication of wealth. They provided uh, their wool was used for clothing. They provided milk and other things like that. They, I mean, there, there was a, a lot of value, monetary value. But also it, it was just that sheep mattered. And so every one of them would be cared for. It's interesting that the, that the Jewish leaders didn't seem to have this mindset, right? They had the mindset of, you know, we care about those who are following God's laws, but the sinners, not so much. In fact, William Barclay is a Bible commentator who uh, described this mindset of the strict Jews. He said it was not, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, but there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated before God. He said, that, that's kind of the mindset of some of the religious leaders of that day. Um, and, and even Jewish, there was a Jewish scholar, C.G. Montefiore, who said that rabbis would all agree that God welcomes back the penitent sinner. But they did not view God as being the type of shepherd who would go after the lost sheep and try to bring them back. And yet... That's the picture that we see of God. Again, going back to Ezekiel 34, I referenced earlier, Ezekiel 34, 11 and 12 says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and will look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. It's a bit shocking to me. To think that the religious leaders did not have this same understanding of God going after the lost sheep when it's pretty clear that that's God's desire. And so Jesus is resetting the mindset here for the religious leaders and telling them parables that um, were shocking to them at the time. And one of the things, by the way, that was most shocking to Jesus or about Jesus to most people was the fact that he uh, hung around the tax collectors and sinners. That he didn't separate himself from them, but that he was drawn toward them. And so, he, he tells us this parable. Um, and he, he gives them this mindset, and, and, and just kind of making it clear, God cares about the lost. He really does. The shepherd doesn't just sit back and wait for those who are going to make some effort to come back to him. He goes after them. That was his mindset. We talked about this last week a little bit in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. You know, Jesus' mindset with her was not, hey, you are, you have messed up so badly that you've lost any opportunity. His mindset was, um, let me tell you about living water. Let me tell you about a way that you can be forgiven. And so, 
That's the mindset that we need to have. Jesus didn't write her off. You know, it, it could very well be that for some of us, that it, maybe at some point in life, or maybe that's even true right now, that somebody else has written you off. Somebody else has given up on you and just said, there's no hope. Maybe it's a parent that gave up on you. Maybe it's a spouse that gave up on you. Maybe a friend, maybe a, an employer that gave up on you and said, there's really no hope. But I'm so encouraged as I read parables like this that remind me that God doesn't ever give up on us. God is that shepherd that continues to go after that one lost sheep. And so for those that, that, that don't yet have a relationship with Christ, I want you to know God is pursuing you. You will, you will never be so far away from God that, that you can't come back to him. But for those that do have a relationship with God, it's a real challenge to us to ask ourselves the question, are we going after the lost sheep? Is that a concern for us? And is that a priority for us? We see in Luke 15 that it certainly is uh, for God because it says that in verse 4 that he leaves the 99 in the open country and he says he goes after the lost sheep. And notice this last little phrase, until he finds it. See, this is not just a quick little, eh, I'll take a quick little look and if I don't find it, I'll just move on. That, that kind of describes my approach. I, I don't play a whole lot of golf, but when I do play golf, I'm not very good, so I'm always hitting the golf ball in the wrong place, right? So it's getting in places it's hard to find where uh, it's not supposed to be, and so I'm regularly searching for that lost golf ball. And when that happens, you know, I'll just be real honest with you, I, I don't usually spend a whole, time, a whole lot of time looking for it. And there are a few reasons for that. One is I don't want to slow down the other people that I'm with. I don't want to slow down anybody that might be behind me. And so I do worry about that. But there's another reason for that as well. And that is that, you know, I grew up in a family, a golfing family. My dad played a ton of golf. There are a lot of extra golf balls at his house. And he's always just saying, hey, you want, you want some extras, you know, and he's loading me up. And so I don't worry about it. You know, if, if one of them gets lost, what's the big deal? I'll just drop another one and we'll go from there and not have to worry about it. You know, it would probably be different if I were buying them new, right? I don't know if y'all know how much. I mean, some, some golf balls are as much as about $4 each. I mean, they, they can get pretty expensive depending on what you buy. And so um, if you place value on something, then you're going to search for it a little more intently, right? God doesn't give up. Searching for the sheep, the lost sheep, because the sheep matter, because there's so much value in the sheep. And so he, he goes after them. And the second thing that I want us to see along those lines is this, that God relentlessly seeks the lost. He seeks for them, he searches for them until they are found. He goes to these incredible lengths to bring them back. And one of the reasons he does is because sheep are defenseless on their own. They're one of the few animals that don't have a natural defense system. And so if sheep are left on their own, they almost certainly will die. If, if there's any kind of predator or anything, there's nothing that the sheep can do to protect themselves. They must rely on that shepherd to be their protection. And so God know, knows that, and he comes after us, this lost sheep, because we can't save ourselves. And it says that, that, that when he gets there, that he um, takes that sheep, carries it, back home, which we'll get to here more in just a little bit. But just think about this idea of God relentlessly seeking after the lost sheep. Isn't that remarkable to think that he would do that? We're about to celebrate 
the greatest example of that with Christmas coming up. Christmas is all about God going to incredible lengths to seek after his lost sheep, so much so that, that he sent his own son to become a human being. Jesus left heaven. He left being at the, the right hand of God to come into earth and to be born in a, in a stable and into poverty and all these kinds of things that he endured and to go through life not being understood by so many and eventually to be um, falsely accused and crucified and just, I mean, just horrible things that he put up. That, that is what I would say relentlessly going after the lost sheep. That's really what Christmas is all about. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, that's what the cross and the empty tomb are all about. It's about God relentlessly pursuing the lost and saying, I'm going to go so far as to pay that penalty for you so that I'm going to take on your unrighteousness so that you can be righteous because of what I have done for you. And for those that place their faith in him, we are reborn spiritually. We are given the righteousness of Christ. So he pursued us relentlessly 2,000 years ago. But here's the amazing thing is he continues to do that today. He continues through the drawing of his Holy Spirit to, to, to come after us today. In John 6, Jesus said that no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. And so God is still doing that work of drawing hearts to him. Anybody have a story like that? God maybe put somebody in your life that, that just constantly was telling you about him or a family member that wouldn't stop praying for you or maybe God just spoke to you through his word or uh, through um, some spiritual leader in your life or whatever it may be and you can just look back and see that was God pursuing me. That was, that was God drawing me to him. None of us would be in any kind of relationship with God. We would not be growing in that relationship with God if it were not for the work of God inside of us to draw us to himself. So God continues to relentlessly pursue us. I'm thankful that he does, aren't you? But the question that I have then is this. Am I going after the lost sheep the way God does? Are you going after the lost sheep? Are you truly relentlessly pursuing those who are far from God. See, we cannot wait. This is the mindset of a lot of Christians that I hear. It's kind of this idea of, well, I'll just live out my life, and then when somebody asks me questions, I'll tell them about God. Let me tell you this, guys. Lost sheep generally don't go around asking for directions about how to find their way back to the shepherd. Lost sheep usually don't know they're lost. The shepherd is the one that has to go find them, has to go search for them. And so are, are we going after the lost sheep? Are we pursuing them the way that Jesus does? And it says that, that when he gets to them, verse 5, it says when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I mean, you, you, you want to ask the question, what do we bring to the table when it comes to salvation? That's the answer right there. All we do is just like, eh, you know, we just got to get picked up, put on the shoulders. We don't do anything. Jesus does all the work. The shepherd does all the work. We, we bring nothing to the table when it comes to our salvation, only our faith. Now, the one difference is the sheep really doesn't have any option, doesn't have any choice about whether it will be carried back home or not. We do. We have to choose to say yes 
to Christ. But that's all. That's all we do. And he carries us back home. It's all about him. But notice the attitude that he has in verse 5. When he finds it, he says he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. If I'm being honest, I'm thinking if I'm a shepherd, I'm probably more mad at the sheep for wandering off than I am joyful for bringing it back home, right? I think I'd be mumbling and muttering all the way back about this dumb sheep and why he ran off again. That's not what it says. It says that he's so filled with joy. He just joyfully carries the sheep back home. And so that's the last thing I want us to see today is that God rejoices over the lost being found. We see that in all three of these parables. In this one, it says that, that he rejoiced over the sheep and he calls people together and says, celebrate. When the woman loses the coin, she finds it. She calls her friends and neighbors to celebrate. And then the story of the prodigal son. When the son comes back home, the father calls everybody together and has a big banquet and they all celebrate. God rejoices over the lost sheep that, that have been found. Again, William Barclay, who I mentioned earlier, shed some light on what it might have been like for the whole community to celebrate over a lost sheep. This is what he said. He said, many of the flocks were communal flocks belonging not to individuals but to villages. There would be two or three shepherds in charge. Those whose flocks were safe would arrive home on time and bring news that one shepherd was still out on the mountainside searching for a sheep which was lost. The whole village would be upon the watch, and when in the distance they saw the shepherd striding home with the lost sheep across his shoulders, there would rise from the whole community a shout of joy and thanksgiving. Let me read verse 7 again. It says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Guys, that speaks to the heart of God. That God throws a party when one sinner is turned back to him. That's his heart for the lost. That's how he celebrates when the lost return back home. You see, I, I think sometimes it's easy for our image of God to get skewed a little bit. A lot of people have an image of God that, that rather than being like that compassionate shepherd that's always searching for the lost sheep, they view God more as an angry taskmaster that's just waiting to strike somebody down for doing wrong. And it's important that we understand that God is holy and righteous and there are consequences for our sin. I mean, not to punish sin would compromise God's holiness. So we're, we're not talking about that. But, but it's important for us to understand God's heart. It's important for us to understand why he cares so much about those who've gone astray. So let's just skip down a little bit, and I, I want to wrap our time up with just reading a few verses from the last parable, which is the prodigal son. And you probably know the story, the son that had gone away, and now he's about to come back, verse 20. It says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. 
He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This father who obviously pictures is a picture of God in this story is waiting for his son to come home. He's watching for that lost son to come home. So much so that it says that he saw him in a distance. And parents, you know how this works. You know your, your child's gait, right? You can kind of tell their walk because you've seen it for so long. And so from a distance, probably before he could even completely identify from physical features, he could tell, that's my son. And rather than waiting for the son to come to him and rather than the father, you know, getting one of these bits and crossing his arms and saying, I'm going to give that boy a piece of my mind when he gets back here. That's not what he does. The father does something that, that men did not do in that culture, and that is that he ran. This was undignified for a grown man to run like this, but he didn't care. He ran to go meet this son and said he threw his arms around him. And the son tries to go into his rehearsed speech about how he has sinned against heaven and against him. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and treat me as a hired servant. He goes into this speech that he had rehearsed many times before. And his father interrupts him right in the middle of it. Doesn't even let him finish his speech. And says, you know, let's, let's bring a robe, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Go and, and, and let's prepare for a feast. Because this son was lost. And now he's found. And this compassionate father who cared so much about that lost son was just ready to throw a party. And that's what all three of these parables say happens when a lost person comes back to God is that God throws a party. Why? Because he has such a heart for all of the sheep. Again, it begs the question. Do you care about the lost sheep the way God does? I have to tell you, I'm very convicted that I need for God to give me a greater burden for those that are lost. Our church needs for God to give us a greater burden for those that are lost. See, there are people that live in our neighborhoods. There are people that work in the cubicle right next to us. There are people that we interact with on a regular basis. There may even be people within our own families who don't know Christ and as things stand are on their way to an eternity in hell separated from God and we really don't care. At least not enough to do something about it. Now guys, I understand we don't save anybody. Okay, Let's be real clear about that. That's God's job. But it is our job to go after the lost sheep. And so that's what these next couple of weeks are all about. Really, this next month or so is all about. You probably noticed when you came in that there were a couple of resources on your seat. I want to tell you, tell you what this is and how we're going to be using this. Because this all ties into us developing a heart for the one. Just one. What's that one lost sheep uh, that, that, that we know. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's somebody that you know. Um, who is your one? That's the question. And you found when you came in a bookmark like this, and, and uh, some of these didn't make it in in time, so we, we reprinted. Some of them aren't perforated, so if it's not perforated, just cut it where the little line is there. Um, but the, the top side is designed to be torn off. 
so that you can write down the name of this one person that you're going to be praying for. And I want to encourage you to actually do this. Take this, who's your one, write the name on it and put it up on your mirror. And every single day when you see that name, just let that be a reminder to pray for this person. Who is your one person that you're praying for? And then we have an incredible guide for 30 days. We're, we're going to be led through praying for this person to come to know Christ. In fact, let me just read day one because they're all really short so you get an idea. And then there's a place to journal your prayers next to it. But this first one is this. It says, uh, John, it's John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the prayer for day one. God, I know there's only one way to salvation. Jesus is clear. He's the only hope for a lost and dying world, and that includes blank. And you fill in your person's name. His or her salvation depends on acknowledging who Jesus says he is, and he alone is the source of salvation. Use the people and circumstances in this person's life to point him or her to the reality of Jesus. And I love this part of the prayer. Give me courage and boldness to call this person to faith in Jesus when the opportunity arises and help me make it clear that there is no other way to be saved. Guys, I, I can't help but to think when we pray those kinds of prayers for this one person for 30 consecutive days, that God's going to do something there. God's going to open some opportunities. And uh, these 30 days, by the way, are, are leading right up into the holiday season. So it's an ideal time to seek to share your faith uh, as that's on people's minds. And so I just want to urge us to, to have a heart for the one like God does. You know, to have compassion for the lost, to, to know that, that, that lost people matter to God because he cares about them. He relentlessly seeks them, and then he rejoices over them when they're found. Quite honestly, I've been thinking a lot lately about the fact we rejoice over the wrong things. We get so excited about things that really don't matter that much, and we really don't care enough about the things that do. So frankly, I'm calling myself and our church to repentance here we need to repent and say God forgive me if I don't care about the loss the way that you do but give me that desire give me that passion to go after the one and then let's pray and ask God to help us do that join me in prayer now Lord, I thank you today for the way that you do love and pursue that one lost sheep I thank you Lord that when I was that one lost sheep that you came pursuing me and you draw, uh, drew me into a relationship with you. And so thank you for that, Lord. God, would you give each of us that same desire and that same burden? Lord, would you make it clear who that one person is that we need to be praying for and seeking to share with over this next month? So, Lord, do your work. And, God, we confess that we don't care about the loss the way we should. And so change that in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.